Okay, James. So um, what do you do and how come you know so much about drones? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I'm an associate professor in international politics uh, in Denmark at the Centre for War Studies and the Danish Institute for Advanced Study. Um, I live in this city called Orenza, which is about an hour outside Copenhagen. And one of the reasons why I took the job over here is because this part of Denmark has become kind of the Silicon Valley of Europe. It's got some of the world's leading drone manufacturers, counter drone systems, robotic systems, and the largest drone test center across land and sea in the whole of Europe. And one of the reasons why I was brought over here is because as this drone industry starts to expand, one of the things that they were worried about was how commercial drone technologies, as they get ever more advanced, might be misused. And I joined here in 2018, just as news was breaking, that one, uh, one of the most, I suppose, famous ISIS operatives, who was a Danish national, Basil Hassan, had managed to create uh, a cell around Copenhagen, a terrorist cell, where he was able to get loads of commercial drone technologies, uh, and he found out a way to smuggle them over into Turkey and through to Syria, and uh, to supply ISIS, quite simply, with some of the most high-tech commercial drone systems you can get, and give ISIS a, a rudimentary precision drone air force. Um, and that's something that I was working on at the time, was the terrorist adaption of drones. And, uh, and I suppose that's how uh, I came here and, and got into the interest of of commercial drones uh, as opposed to just military systems. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. I thought you were going to say you wanted a European passport and Denmark hadn't... They still uh, you know, won't was, give was me cheap, one. Cheap property. <laughs> they still won't give me one. I've got to, I've got to learn Danish better and uh, and Jai Taylor lit dance because I speak a very small amount of Danish. So once I get that, I can be a Danish citizen. Yeah, uh, sure. It's always hard to leave your British citizenship behind, isn't it? So I'm interested in trends in transport and in particular transport safety. So can you paint a picture for me of the future, you know, however long in the future, a generation into the future? Where will we see drones in everyday use sort of commercially and, and particularly, um, you know, in the transportation sector? Oh, everywhere. I mean, you will have thousands of drones moving from rural distribution centers like they're already being tested right now in places like Cambridgeshire, like the Amazon drone deliveries are being tested. You'll see them going from rural distribution centers to inner city delivery hubs, inner city drone airports, potentially even door-to-door -door delivery systems uh, that will revolutionize our existing delivery and logistical infrastructure. It'll also revolutionize the transport that we have within our cities and outside of our cities. Uber are already in late stage testing of their piloted, some might say they might be fully autonomous, um, airborne taxis that will pick you up at the end of the day from work and take you home. Or if we're being a bit more realistic, George, probably pick you up from the pub after work at the end of the day and take you back home so you don't have to get in that car. And they will transcend the busy streets. They will also be used for the transport of patients uh, to specialist hospitals after car crashes or if they can't get the treatment in in rural areas so basically put simply drones will completely transform the way we get things delivered the way we move goods and the way we move people um, my only worry is is are we doing this all a bit too quickly well the, the interesting thing a, a bit about i mean from my background the way i got into transport safety from designing electronic systems signaling systems actually and one one of the things that got me into risk and safety was a realization that 
you can have the best product, but unless you can demonstrate to a third party that it's got the right level of safety integrity, you can't sell it and it doesn't transform anything. So I guess the vision, you know, the end point, the vision seems quite clear, but it's the journey that is that fascinates me and how we would actually um, get there. I saw that there was, you know, you, you mentioned, I think it's the e-hang, is it the uh, I've seen online, which is the Chinese passenger drones and, you know, the idea of people flying around in cars as a safety engineer um in you know three dimensions um i can't help see that as a as a technical technological and safety assurance challenge that that will create a significant hurdle is that the s sort of thing that you've you're aware of or be engaged with about how they overcome those safety assurance hurdles of of the risks because the risks are you don't have to be a an expert safety engineer to um, hypothesize what the risk some of the risks might be <laughs> Uh, no, and I'm not an expert engineer in any way, shape or form, and I can hypothesise what some of those risks are. I mean, we just need to look back to Gatwick Airport in 2018, that infamous case now of a drone being sighted in and around the airport, supposedly at least, and then reports of 64 drones being in the sky within a 24-hour period, and then no one knowing who was operating which drone and the airport ended up being shut for over 72 hours. Um, 100,000 passengers just before Christmas being stuck in the airports, planes stuck on the tarmac. And the, the fascinating thing about that is that we now think there might not have been a drone at all. It might have just been the police drone that was sent up to hunt the other drones. Um, and then the police drones were spotted and that was the perpetual cycle of drone fear. And that's understandable why there would be that kind of hype because let's say there was a, a drone initially. Um, you don't know who's operating that, you don't know the intent behind it, you don't know where they're located, and you don't know what's on board the drone. So you immediately have to have that kind of worry because we don't have the appropriate counter systems to bring these drones down safely in urban areas, in the unique climate that is, the unique environment that is an, an international airport. Um, and so it causes great amounts of worry. And it's here that the UK Parliament started to, to be concerned about what the future of drone use in the UK might be. And it's there that I, I came in to contribute to some of the, uh, the inquiries around this and start to think about what our drone future might be. And a couple of things that, that worry me, of course, are our hobbyist misuse or commercial misuse. I mean, I, could, I have my drone license, I use my drone. Um, you can easily see how someone innocently using their drone can make things go wrong. Look to how many times drones have been accidentally crashed by tourists, or in, in one case, a, a, a drunk member of a, a presidential security team, um, crashed into the lawns of the White House. Uh, they've since implemented geofencing around that to try and make sure that drones can't cross that virtual border between pathway and and national um, vital security infrastructure, that is the White House. Um, but the risks are still there. And if you want to get around a lot of these counter drone measures that we do have in place, then you can modify systems to make that happen. I mean, commercial drone systems today almost are built on the fact that they can provide much easier, simple to use systems that can be 
really resilient against external interference. So what I can say by that is that we've developed counter drone systems that can jam a frequency, let's say. They can make it so that the, the drone um, loses the control of its operator. It doesn't crash out the sky. It, it returns back on its preset course to where it took off from, right? So that's all absolutely fine. That makes sense. But the latest drone technologies means that the, the drone operator can frequency switch. So that's something that's really useful. It increases the reliability of your drone system. It's a great feature to sell your drone, but it just makes the a generation of counter drone system is now redundant. And it's really hard to keep up the counter drone and the legal aspects with the sheer pace and rate of commercial technologies, which I think is a bit of a long term downfall potentially, because if drones continue to outpace counter drone technologies, if they get ever simpler to use, if the barriers to entry are zero, then they can be misused. And that vital infrastructure that we see for the future, where you have these thousands of drones in the sky, well, if a hostile rogue drone was used to spoof a police drone or an ambulance drone, if it was used to get through the, the system and to infiltrate the system, to conduct a kinetic attack, um, to spread a biological or chemical agent across a city. And of course, drones are designed to do that with agricultural systems that you can buy to spray chemicals across vast distances. Or even if drones were sent in and used um, to infiltrate state security, to um, conduct espionage, to hoover up metadata or used by criminals to, to steal data from sensitive sites. And we've seen this. We've seen drones infiltrate sensitive sites and cities. We've seen them used by environmental terrorists in Japan who are protesting the reopening of Japan's nuclear facilities after that terrible um, earthquake in the Fukushima prefecture. Um, they took radioactive waste from the Fukushima prefecture, bought a drone off the internet, painted it black, put the radioactive waste on the bottom of it, went down to downtown Tokyo in the middle of the night, took that drone, flew it to the top of the Japanese prime minister's residence without anybody noticing where it sat radiating um, radioactive waste for two weeks before anybody noticed. And there's loads of different cases of drones infiltrating vital security infrastructure. And so if we're seeing that already, then a future where drones are that vital national infrastructure becomes ever more worrying because if you do have drones infiltrate that system and conduct some sort of attack then what's our only option well our option is to bring the entire infrastructure down to try and cleanse the system and make it more robust you do that and you start to paralyze cities that are relying on these hospital deliveries, hospital transports, civil deliveries, our entire logistical and transport system. And so my worry is, is that if we introduce drones too quickly without having these legal and technical fail safes in place, then you're going to have a future where public trust is degraded in the drone. And you might have a, a counterproductive scenario where, where drones have to be withdrawn from society. So I suppose my message out there is to make sure that commercial drone actors, counter drone uh, manufacturers, policymakers, academics, engineers, researchers really work together, not against each other, to make a, a drone future that is less dark than I imagine, and one which is fit for all. I mean, for, for obvious reasons, James, it's, it's clear that you've thought a lot about the security uh, risks. There's a, 
as a safety engineer, um, you know, working predominantly in the railways, start we're starting to have to get to know more about security and the overlap with safety. But even the basic safety of the intended use of the drones, I, I know, I mean, presumably you need, um, you know, on, on railways, for example, we, we do a lot about, obviously, it's uh, signaling systems, which are constraining the movement of the train. Well, train's not even moving fully in two dimensions. <laughs> so you, so presumably to, to, for it, you'd need some sort of designated pathway that that, that, that would run. I've, I've seen about parachutes, because for, for, presumably some of these drones for commercial use could, could even be carrying things the size of containers maybe someday, and you wouldn't want those falling out of the sky in the wrong place. So even if even if there wasn't there weren't actors looking to misuse the technology there's some significant hurdles presumably there to overcome to uh, to main you know to build that public trust that you, that you're um that you're talking about and then, and of course it only takes one significant accident to um to, to blow all that yeah and you're completely right to start to think about drones as not those small quadcopters that we all think of that you can buy off the internet but instead as drones that weigh multiple tons i mean there's vertical takeoff and landing drones that are being experimented with that are as up to seven tons in weight so you will have these gigantic systems in the sky moving goods um around and 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 you know, there is a safety aspect to that. And when it comes to your expertise in the rail industry, you know, you ask about what sort of tracks will these drones use to come in and out of cities? Well, it necessitates that it will be above our existing transport infrastructure, because that's an area where you don't have loads of houses already. It's usually clear of trees above the, uh, above the, the wires. And so you can preset your drone in an automated fashion along its online GPS mapping system to simply follow the route of train tracks in and out of cities. It's the fastest way, kind of pretty much as the crow flies, to follow existing rivers. Um, you know, they're the sort of tributaries, the lines of transport that, that will be followed by drones because they're the existing ways in and out of cities already. They'll just be flying in the third dimension above them. And then I've, I've never really thought about it, but you know, you're, you're firing some neurons in my brain that are, are making us think about, you know, what if the drones do crash onto the railways? What does that mean for rail safety? What if they hit signals? I mean, these are things that, that need to be thought about into the future. Well, and, and you're right, because I do remember some time ago being involved in a conversation about the use of uh, railways as drone corridors and the, the, the eyebrows raised immediately, I have to say, because it's a little bit, you know, there, there, there's certainly a debate to be had there if that was an aspiration at some, at, at some it, point. It, it, it is an aspiration, George. When I'm, in, when I'm in parliamentary meetings and you have industry who are, are speaking about the future that they want, and I'm talking about big, big industry here, um, this is what they're saying. That, that is what they want the future to be. That's fascinating. As, well, I guess I'm reassured that I won't be out of work for a while anyway. Well, that's um, true. Yes, good point. <laughs> and so um, the other thing is the, the a big thing around transportation is, um, is you know, sustainability and the environmental footprint. Just, you know, ballpark, what's the, because um, I've seen some figures quoted, but it's always whether they're like for like. What's the, how, do, how do drones compare in sort of like for like in terms of energy consumption and you know, uh, you know, emissions and things compared to, uh, you know, whole life compared to other modes of transport. Are they generally efficient? I mean, it 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 really is kind of a how long's a piece of string sort of situation because it depends on what drones we're talking about. Some are powered by electric motors. They have a notoriously um, 
lower flight time, uh, decreased flight time, because our battery technology is still kind of lagging quite a bit. So then you start to look to, you know, petrol prop motors, two-stroke engines, that sort of thing, um, which has a, a relatively good rate of consumption, but you couldn't call them carbon neutral in any way, shape or form. So it has to be that we look to these electronic motors into the future, or we look to solar-powered um, fixed-wing drone systems. And Facebook is experimenting with this already. They're calling them kind of pseudo-satellites with gigantic wings that are solar panels. That means that they can hover around in the sky for up to five years. Uh, and they'll be used to provide Wi-Fi to areas that, that really find it hard to uh, connect to high-speed broadband. So right now, it, it depends. And there's a fork in the road in terms of the direction that drones will be developed. Will we go towards more carbon neutral net zero systems? Or will the short term necessitate that we have to rely on fossil fuel powered drones? I don't know what that future is going to look like. That will be a manufacturing political commitment and pressure from the public. But it's something that certainly spoke about in my main area of expertise, which is the military domain. A lot of nation states want to more move towards net zero militaries. And there already are arguments that drones are greener military technologies. It seems to bizarre to think about, but waging climate friendly wars is something that's being discussed for the future and drones might be a, uh, a a way of achieving that. I have to say that oddly is less of a surprise to me than the idea of flying drones over railways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, just a, a couple more questions, uh, um, uh, James. The, so back to the sort of um, the navigation. Is there a view that there would be drones would be fully automated? Is it a view that there would be like, you know, in the railway analogy, a signaler with a control center and or or, or even, I guess, an air traffic control? Is there a, or is it a hot, you know, a mix of those things? Is that is that sort of starting to take shape? The ideas about how that would work? Yeah, I mean, you can't really fly beyond line of sight at the moment and you have to have a constant watch of the drone in the sky. I can imagine that will be relaxed into the future and instead you'll have that that kind of drone ground control where each drone has an identity emitter on it and you can see where it's flying at the sky at all times and they'll fly probably at the same level or a couple of set levels across those those um, those lines of transportation that we've already mentioned those existing tributaries um, that will mean that we'll move towards a kind of human on the loop control. So instead of having an individual human piloting every single drone, because that would be incredibly laborious and companies won't like that, although it's probably the safest way to think about it, you'll probably have, much like we're going in the military realm, you'll have a single operator watching multiple drones that are aut automated to travel along that set route. And then if anything goes wrong or there's a problem in the system, the drone will report back to a central operator who then might be able to take control of it or take control of multiple drones at once or help it get around whatever obstacle is in its way. Um, that's how I, I see the next step. Will we have a future where drones will be completely autonomous, where humans are outside of the loop of control? And if a drone comes across a, a blockage or an error, it has the artificial intelligence inside it to make a meaningful decision about how to proceed, uh, does that and then maybe tells the human later or the human can check through the logs to see what happened to the drones that day. Um, thus, the human really does become detached from that process. That makes business sense, I suppose, in, in, the, in the most basic sense of you could have multiple drones out there with only one human operator. 
Um, is it the safest way to think about it? Probably not yet, because we don't have the, the level of artificial intelligence to for drones to make that decision safely. And then I guess the final one for me, James, and I guess definitely from us, and it, it comes from a sort of, um, there's the old magic trick when you catch a, a bullet between your teeth and the, the you know, the, the, the thing or the joke for me was, is how do you learn to do that? Um, and I know the, uh, because safety, if we look at things like the rail sector, safety has been built up through years of experience and some pretty painful lessons. And I am aware that I think it's, is it uh, will be Amazon that's got, it's got kind of a, a, a dedicated environment where it is able to fly and learn and, and, and have in effect be prepared to fail and have accidents. Um, there's a challenge for me there around the transparency of learning from those accidents because, you know, uh, for, unfortunately, but a, but a product of the fact that, you know, a lot of, you know, rail accidents happened in public meant that there were public inquiries and there was lots of learning and there's going to be a need to go up the learning curve on terms of safety very quickly. Um, and the transition from a controlled environment to a real world one feels to me as if that will be a pivotal step. I think that's that's probably correct. Uh, again, putting my military hat on, you can test technologies as much as you like in peacetime, but you put them in the field and they can they can act very, very differently in the ways you want them to. And, you know, to take that as a military lesson that we can put in terms of civil society, well, you are going to have to test these out in the public because there'll be a range of ways in which these drones will be interfered with by humans, but also by nature. I mean, one of the major problems, if we're being really low tech here, is, is seagulls and crows um, trying to take drones out the sky as they're trying to deliver their coffee. I mean, these poor drones just trying to go about their day job. But um, this, this, these are the, the basic things that, you know, perhaps we don't think about or take seriously enough. They're the problems. Um, they are the, the gaps in our armor. They're yeah. the ones that we need to to try and solve. What I will say is that usually at the moment, these uh, uncrewed aerial systems, remotely piloted systems have to fulfill the same levels of um, safety requirements as human operated, human occupied systems. Um, hopefully that continues into the future uh, until at least we're certain of the, the, uh, the safety of these technologies and we have truly robust and resilient infrastructures. Um, I'm not a drone Luddite in any way, shape or form. I do see the amazing ways in which drones will, I'm confident, will transform our societies. Um, I just want to make sure that we get to a point where we can do it safely. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thanks ever so much, James. And I, it's been absolutely fascinating and, you know, opening up a whole new world uh, for me. But I think it sounds like one we're going to have to get to grips with. I will, I will put in the accompanying... Um, post that I do, uh, details of some of the presentations you've done on, on the military side, which is again, branches into some other, uh, other areas and with the increasing links between safety and uh, security uh, in transportation, something that will, I guess people would be fascinated to get their heads around as well. But thank you very much. As I say, it's been absolutely fascinating. Cheers, George. Thanks. Thanks. Have a good day. Thanks, James. Cheers.